Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Um, I'm sure many of you are aware that Mother Nature has been very cranky with us lately. Today we're focusing on every day as Earth Day, planning a future of sustainable energy. And my first guest today is Dr. Michael E. Mann, who is a distinguished professor of atmospheric science at Penn State with joint appointments in the Department of Geosciences and the Earth and Environmental Systems Institute, also known as EESI. He is also director of the Penn State Earth Systems Science Center, known as ESSC. I'm happy to have Dr. Michael E. Mann in the house, and I want to also give a plug to his books. One is The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy, as well as his newest book, which is a children's book entitled The Tantrum That Saved the World. Michael Mann, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Oh, it's, it's, this, is, this is a subject that is really near and dear to my heart, and I, and I really meant what I said about Mother Nature feeling uh, cranky with us. I live in the Thomas Fire Territory of Southern California. For those of you who don't know, um, Southern California has had one of the third worst fires in its history, and Dr. Mann's going to talk to us about that and other uh, climate uh, risks that we are encountering these days. Talk, Michael, take it away. Yeah, so the the Thomas uh, fire is a very good example of the general fact that the impacts of climate change are no longer subtle. Um, We are seeing them play out in terms of extreme and unprecedented weather events. Um, And this latest fire, uh, the wildfires in California in recent years in general, and this most recent fire in particular, uh, is a manifestation of something that we've long predicted. As the temperatures warm up, uh, as uh, we see uh, more sustained uh, and uh, prevalent drought in the desert southwest and in California in particular, uh, we are seeing an extension of the dry season. Uh, And as the dry season gets longer, um, we're starting to see these out-of-season fires. Uh, California isn't used to having massive wildfires uh, during the winter, um, which is the rainy season. Um, And yet, as the dry season expands, we expect to see more of these out of what we would we would have in the past called out of season fires and in the case of the thomas fire um this now ranks as you uh, mentioned as one of the third worst wildfires in california in fact I, I believe it may now already be in second place um and so this is you know these are the facts of life now um some people call it a new normal but it's worse than a new normal because it's not going to stop here we're going to continue to see even worse and worse impacts if we continue down this road of profligate burning of fossil fuels. 
And what's interesting about the impact of these fires in on top of uh, climate refugees, right, people being displaced as a result of the fires because their homes have burnt down or they can no longer go back to their neighborhoods, are the health concerns. I went to my local market the other day and lo and behold, the the gifts that they were giving uh, its customers were were masks. Yeah, yeah. That I mean that that is um, a, an issue here, and it applies to us here in the states, where people are literally being driven out of their homes. Um, and as you know, the climate gets drier and drier in the desert southwest, and we have a massive population in in, in you know, urban centers like Phoenix, Arizona we're going to have to contend with this collision course that we are on um, when it comes to sort of human expansion of our population and the impacts of climate change, the drying of the desert southwest, uh, the, the worsening of wildfires in California. Now, while we face uh, this issue here in the U.S., it also applies to other countries. Uh, and an excellent example, um, sort of uh, analogous to what's happened in California, where we've seen the worst drought on record. Um, and by on record, I mean as far back as the tree ring experts are able to take drought reconstructions in the region. And, and they tell us that the recent California drought was the worst drought in at least 1,200 years. Um, that's as wow. far back as they can go. There was a brief respite from that drought. Um, last winter was a fairly rainy winter, but it, it did not uh, it, it did not restock the um, the, the reservoirs. Uh, it, it did not uh, you know replenish the aquifers and the and the and, and, and the ground soil. And so here we are now back in drought um, and with very warm temperatures having persisted through the summer and into the fall. The drought comes together with these, um, you know, these very warm temperatures to, to give us the sort of the conditions that are ripe for a fire like the, the Thomas uh, wildfire. Now, while that's playing out here in the U.S., in Syria, they've had the worst drought as far back as the tree ring folks can go in that region, at least 900 years back um, and that drought uh, was sort of set the conditions for um, what has ultimately spiraled into a national sort of security problem for the rest of the world. Um, the Syrian drought drove the rural farmers um, from their farms into the cities where they had to compete with the people who already lived there for food and water and space. Um, that leads to conflict. And in that atmosphere of conflict, um, that's where you see the emergence of organizations like ISIS. Um, so when someone like Donald Trump says, you know, we shouldn't worry about climate change, we have to focus on the real problems like uh, terrorism. Well, in fact, those two things are inter inextricably, uh, inextricably linked. Um, and so, yes, this problem of climate refugeeism, and we're going to see it here in the U.S. and in, in North America writ large, but we're seeing it in the rest of the world, and it's creating national security issues that we all have to contend with. It's interesting that you talk about Syria. I was listening to an NPR piece, I believe it was last week, and they were talking about... Um, the lack of just clean drinking water and how people are dying because they lack this basic resource that some would say is not a basic human right. Yeah, and, you know, it, 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 it seems abstract and far off when we talk about Syria, but in fact it's happening to us here in the U.S. U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico are suffering precisely yes. the same consequences where lack of access to fresh drinking water because of the collapse of infrastructure uh, that arose out of um, this unprecedented hurricane uh, strike um, with Maria, um, that you know, that, that has created a health crisis there. And these are, these are American citizens. Yeah. Let, let, well, let's talk a little bit about the hurricanes, because that is 180 degrees in the other direction. Yeah. We've got drought, and then when we've got these excessive um, harsh storms that come back to back to back, and I don't believe this is just a, a one-shot deal, right? This is the beginning of something that's going to continue to happen, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. While people out west were distracted with 
you know, record warmth uh, through the late summer and fall and these massive wildfires that they're dealing with back east. Um, we and, and in the south-central U.S., the Gulf Coast, we've been dealing with an unprecedented hurricane season. And while it is true that, yes, you can never literally blame the existence of any one storm on climate change, we know that the storms are getting stronger and they're producing more flooding rains. And both of those things are connected to climate change. Um, in fact, there's a, a fairly you know, straightforward relationship that's been established that with each uh, one degree Fahrenheit uh, warming of the ocean surface, and it's that ocean warmth that provides the fuel that, uh, that creates um, and strengthens these massive storms, hurricanes, typhoons, as sea surface temperatures warm up, uh, we're seeing a roughly 7% increase in the peak sustained winds of uh, these very strong Cat 4 and Cat 5 storms. Now, that might sound like a small uh, increase, but the destructive potential of a hurricane actually goes as the third power of the wind speed. So that 7% increase in wind speed translates to a roughly 20% increase in destructive potential. And so uh, it isn't a coincidence that within the last you know, several years when global ocean temperatures have been at their all-time high, we've seen the strongest storm globally. That was Patricia in the Pacific a couple of years ago. The strongest storm in both hemispheres. Um, uh, we also saw the strongest storm in the, uh, the, the southern hemisphere as well. Uh, we've seen the strongest storms in both the Pacific and now with uh, Irma this last season, the open Atlantic. So this trend towards more destructive uh, hurricanes and warmer ocean temperatures, by the way, mean more moisture in the air. Um, and more moisture in the air means greater potential for flooding rains. So with uh, Harvey, um, which, uh, as we struck Houston uh, and had devastating a devastating impact on Houston, um, unprecedented rainfall, the biggest flooding event on record in the United States that was associated with very high ocean temperatures, a very large amount of moisture in that storm. It was a slow-moving storm, and scientists have actually shown that the slow-moving nature of these storms may itself be tied to impacts that climate change is having on sort of the large-scale um, circulation of the atmosphere. So there is a direct connection between climate change and, and these increasingly destructive storms. And again, it's not just a new normal, because as ocean temperatures continue to warm up, these storms will get stronger. The flooding potential will be greater. It won't stop here. And of course, that's why it's so important that we act to, to mitigate uh, climate change as quickly as we can. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about mitigation strategies, the roles of states and, and local governments when it comes to climate action and, and and other good stuff, because this isn't going away. And each one of us can do something, can do our share uh, on a local level uh, that impacts globally. To learn more about Dr. Michael E. Mann, please visit michaelmann.net. On Twitter, he can be found at Michael E. Mann. And on Facebook, Michael Mann Scientist. And his books, I have to give the plug because I love the titles, Michael. The first one is The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy, as well as his newest, The Tantrum That Saved the World, We'll be right back, and that's a promise. Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that break, I want to talk about creativity and how making things can make you a happier and healthier person. Today's sponsor, Craftsy, is the digital destination devoted entirely to makers. More than 13 million enthusiasts from artists to quilters and beyond make Craftsy their home for binge-worthy on-demand content and access to the world's top experts and curated supplies, all served up in a fun-loving, creative community. This year, resolve to live a more creative life. Sign up for your seven-day free trial at craftsy.com happiness. Once again, it's seven days of free craftsy at craftsy.com happiness. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. 
Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about climate change, how every day really is Earth Day, and we want to plan a future of sustainable energy. My first guest today is Dr. Michael E. Mann. He's a scientist at Penn State. He's got all kinds of accolades and awards, and I urge you to go to his website, michaelmann.net, to learn more about him. But, Michael, prior to the break, we sort of segued into what we can do on a local level uh, our fair share to mitigate climate change and hopefully reverse the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I like the title of the, the segment, um, you know, uh, Every Day is Earth Day, because that is the way that we have to think about this. We have to think about the consequences of our actions in terms of our everyday activities, um, in terms of how we get to work or, or, or school, in terms of, uh, you know, what sort of appliances we purchase um, where we get our power from, uh, the, it, it, there is no silver bullet, which is to say that if we are going to tackle this problem, um, we, we have to reduce carbon emissions in every sector of our lives. And there are lots of things that we can do individually. Um, we call these no regrets because the things that we can do that save us money, they make us healthier, they make us feel better, and they lower our carbon footprint. You know, bicycling to work or school, um, you know, buying more fuel-efficient uh, appliances, um, driving a, a, a hybrid or electric vehicle. Um, th these are all sorts of no-regret things. We ought to be doing them anyways, and if we all do these things, or if a large number of us do these things, um, it'll take a big bite out of the carbon sort of budget that we have left to, to, to burn um, if we're going to avoid dangerous climate change. So what we need to do is, of course, do those things and encourage our friends and family members to do things, um, you know, to uh, try to, uh, you know, we can purchase our, our power. In many states, you could purchase your, your, your energy from uh, renewables. Um, you can get a, a plan that does it. You can install solar uh, panels um, or use passive um, solar heating for your homes. Um, there are lots of things we can do, and we need incentives to encourage yes. people to do that. We need incentives at the local level, and there's a lot of good news there. Um, municipalities and cities, states are banding together now to put in place policies to incentivize renewable energy um, and to de-incentivize the burning of fossil fuels um, in the form, for example, of a, a price on carbon. Uh, uh, California is doing that, uh, Oregon, Washington, the whole West Coast now, and they've actually banded together with British Columbia. 
The New England states are doing that, and more recently, uh, Virginia just announced that they're going to join. It looks like New Jersey will join as well. Um, and we're pushing our governor here in Pennsylvania to do the same. Um, right now, 30% of the population, roughly, lives in a state where there is a price on carbon um, or there, there is a plan in place. Um, we need that at the national level. If we're really going to tackle this problem um, in the way that we have to, we're going to need a national policy um, to put a price on carbon, to incentivize renewable energy. Uh, but given the current political atmosphere, it's difficult to see that happening in the, in the immediate term. Um, we have a Congress that's run by uh, Republicans who uh, are in denial about the threat of climate change, and so it's, it's difficult to see anything happening in the immediate future in Congress either. But there's so much that's happening at the local level and the state level. In fact, when Donald Trump said he was pulling out of the Paris Agreement, which mm. makes the United States an international pariah, literally the, that we would be the only country in the world not in that agreement now. Uh, even Syria was a late entrant into the agreement. Um, they were a holdout. Uh, and so we would be the only ones. Well, a number of experts have actually looked at sort of, if you look at what's happening um, on the ground, at the local level, at the state level, or the consortiums of states, like the West Coast and the New England states, um, we are making enough progress now that we would likely meet our obligations under the Paris Treaty, uh, even if Trump formally declares that we're pulling out. Uh, he can't stand in the way of the progress that's already happening. We're seeing a huge increase in renewable energy and electric vehicles. Um, this is the direction that the world economy is moving. Um, and you know those 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 nations that get on board early um, are going to benefit from being, you know, leaders in the great economic revolution of this century, the renewable energy revolution. Uh, so, what we need to do, obviously, um, is do everything we can to elect uh, politicians who are willing to act on our behalf rather than on the behalf of special interests, um, fossil fuel special interests. Uh, we need to get to the voting booth if we're going to you know, get the sort of representation at the presidential level and at the congressional level that we will need to act on this problem. Uh, we need to get to the voting booth um, and make sure that we elect politicians who will be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. So it's it's really a multi-pronged strategy that we need to pursue if we're going to tackle this problem. Individual efforts, incentives at the local level and, of course, engagement at the international level, um, at the highest levels of our, our, our government. Well, when we speak about at the individual level, I'm not so sure the average American understands climate change and understands yeah. that he or she has the power to have a positive impact, albeit small, but that if yeah. everybody does their little two bits— we then begin to have change because they watch the news, um, they see what's going on, and when we have industries funding climate change denial, they may not understand what that really means. Yeah, well, you know, we often hear, you know, that that uh, that complaint, you know, my vote doesn't matter, right? Why should I vote? My vote doesn't matter. Well, yesterday in Virginia, we got a stunning example of how every vote matters, um, literally by one vote. Um, in, the, in, in a recount um, that's been going on for, for weeks now, literally by one vote, um, the Democrats uh, have now taken back uh, the state assembly, or at least uh, they, they, they've taken it out of the hands of Republicans. It's now split 50-50. Uh, and that was due to one vote in a recount in one district. Um, the same is true of all of our decisions. Collectively, they make a huge difference. And so while it may be difficult for us to see that in our individual actions, um, it, it's when we all act um, together in the same direction that we accomplish uh, you know, major, um, you know, that, that we make major accomplishments. And, and, and that's really what we're talking about. Um, individuals making decisions that lower their own carbon footprint. And if everybody does that, it really makes a difference. If you're a, a Sasquatch, you know, with a 20 <laughs> ton uh, annual carbon footprint, 
there are so many things you can do in your life to, to reduce yourself to a Cinderella with a, with a very small carbon footprint. And as I said before, things that are going to make you feel better, they're going to make you healthier, they're going to save you money. Um, and voting, every vote literally does, yes. does matter. And we saw that yesterday in, in Virginia. And, and so there isn't just one thing. It's all those things. And it's talking to your friends and, and talking to your neighbors and talking to your – you know, fellow churchgoers um, and your, you know, classmates um, in school, um, and 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 making sure that they're aware of the threat that climate change poses to all of us in the very real ways that it's impacting us now with wildfires and superstorms and unprecedented droughts and heat waves, but at the same time making sure they understand that there is still time to act, that if we yes. act on this problem now, we can prevent a catastrophic future. It's equally important that people understand that because a false narrative of doom and gloom leads us down the wrong path. Well, it puts us in fear. And then when we're in fear, we, we fight, flight, or, or, or freeze, right? It's hard to, it's hard to really uh, focus to affect change when you're living in fear. And I think no, that there right. is we, some fear mongering no going out there yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, about this issue as well yeah. as, oh, you know, your vote doesn't matter. You know, yeah. we're doomed and we're not yeah, no, doomed. Absolutely. If we don't if, act, if, we're, then we're doomed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, there's no, if you feel there's no agency in your actions, then, then why act? And so, um, you know, there are some uh, sort of uh, false prophets out there um, who are uh, telling uh, the public that we are doomed, that there's nothing we can do now to stop catastrophic climate change, and that human beings will be extinct in a decade. There literally are individuals with quite a following um, out there who are promoting that narrative, and it's false. It's not supported at all by the science, and it leads us down the, path, the, the same wrong path as outright denial of the problem. If you really feel there's no agency in your actions, then why do anything? So it is really important for people to understand that the science does tell us that there is agency in their actions, that we can still act in time to avert catastrophic climate change. I'm looking at your no regret list because I've jotted down a few notes. And the one thing that pops out in my mind that we all can do to contribute to towards a solution <clears throat> is to have a garden. Yeah. Just a simple no, little garden. Absolutely. That's right. I mean, you know, there's so much, um, you know, because part of the solution, as I said, moving to renewables, um, moving away from fossil fuels, but also efficiency, using less energy and using less resources. One of the main contribution to our carbon footprint is our use of resources. And when we buy food, for example, that comes from halfway around the world, then the transportation cost, the fuel that was used to transport that food or to fly it, um, um, there is a, a very large carbon uh, uh, footprint um, in you know, buying exotic foods from faraway places. And so the more that we can buy local foods, or even better yet, your, you know, grow stuff in your own garden. So the transportation cost is a matter of you picking the food and taking it into your house. Um, and, I, that, and, you know, <laughs> and I want to just jump in here and tie one more thing into it is the um, relaxation effect. You know, that, that, that we're not suggesting that people do these things because it's just for the greater good. It's for our personal good. If we do these things on your no regret list, you're going to feel less stressed. You're going to feel more in control of your life. You're going to feel more relaxed by being out in nature for those few minutes a day to tend the garden. Um, and the all-around benefit is inclusive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And part of the problem right now when it comes to environmental issues like climate change is that we have become too disconnected from our environment. Um, you know, we spend too much of our time inside buildings or houses um, in cities, um, and we're disconnected from nature. And, and, and that means we don't have the same sort of connectedness that yeah. we once had. Um, and, it's, and that makes it easy for us to become disassociated from it and disassociated from the challenges to our environment. And, and you know, gardening um, uh, is a, and going on, you know, uh, hikes um, uh, and, and, and long walks through the forest are ways to sort of reestablish that relationship w with nature. And I do think it's important. And I think it's important for our younger folks to grow up in an atmosphere where they too appreciate 
nature and our connection with it. Yeah. We've run out of time, and I would love for you to come back and talk with me more about this because this would is be happy to. this is so important. And the more we can give people information and suggest constructive ways to be in solution, I think the better off we're all going to be. We are going to take a break, but before we do, I want to direct our listeners to find Dr. Michael E. Mann at michaelmann.net, on Twitter at Michael E. Mann, and on Facebook, Michael Mann Scientist. The books that he's written are great. The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy, and his newest, The Tantrum That Saved the World, which is a children's book. Here Come the Tunes will be right back. And we're going to talk with somebody who's putting her money where her mouth is over this issue. Here come the tunes. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain Happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about every day is Earth Day, planning a future of sustainable energy. We are talking about climate change and why it's important to act locally in order to impact globally. My next guest is doing just that. She's putting her money where her mouth is and running for governor of the state of Minnesota. Welcome, Rebecca Otto. Rebecca Otto is the 18th state auditor of the state of Minnesota and a past president of the National State Auditors Association. She lives in a clean energy home that she and her husband designed and built with their own hands 23 years ago to not contribute to global warming for the sake of their infant son. Now, Rebecca is running for governor of the state of Minnesota and has released the most aggressive clean energy plan in America, which has been endorsed by climate scientists, climate activist Bill McKibben, and even prominent Republicans as a model all states could follow. Her website is RebeccaAuto.com, and she's here with me to hang out. Hey, Rebecca. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good. <laughs> yeah. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you might be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your background, because you have an, a, a, an unusual one. Well, there's there. Yes, I do. There's um, several things. You know, first, I think one piece is that I was actually born in Southern California, and uh, lived there till I was 11 when we moved to the Chicago area, and I actually found Minnesota where I live in the state that I love when I went to a camp in the Boundary Waters Canoe area in Minnesota. Um, I'm a, a mom. I'm a conservationist. I was a small businesswoman. I've actually even got a master's of education and taught in the public schools for five years. I taught seventh grade life science. So uh, <laughs> I know. So, yeah, if you can teach 195, 12, and 13-year-olds, you can do just about anything. Um, I Agreed. <laughs> And in terms of public service, I have I served on a local school board, I served in the legislature, and now I've been the state auditor for three terms, um, nearing 12 years. And I get to provide oversight over $20 billion spent per year by local governments, 
with my staff um, who are extraordinary. So I have an interesting path, but I think everything that I've done, um, my focus has always been doing the best I can for our planet and doing the best I can for government um, so that we have a, a great Earth to live on. How's that? I think that's great. What, what, I, what I really love about what you've shared is about doing the best you can. You bring um, a spirit to the campaign that is really very heartfelt, you know, very much based, um, very rooted in doing good, doing good for, for, for yourself, for your family, for the people around you. And I think this is a very um, noteworthy aspect that you bring to the table. And plus, I think being a woman helps. Well, that's, yeah, we're pretty collaborative in our nature, and um, there's a funny quote, it's not mine, but it, um, maybe I shouldn't do it. <laughs> women, women work to get things done, and it's not that men don't, it's just that we tend to be very collaborative, and I think these days with the complications in government, um, uh, women serve an important role in government. I think so, too. I think women are shape shifters, you know? They make yeah. shift happen. Yes. What skills would you bring to the role of governor besides knowing how to handle the money, which I think is a big deal? Yeah, the money determines how, um, you know, whether we can get important things done. And you want a vibrant economy. I would say the unique skills I bring is that I have executive experience at the state level, understanding the money, making sure we have accountable um, government that's transparent, efficient, and effective that we can trust. But I've worked in all these different areas as well around, you know, financing affordable housing, um, investing, public pensions, uh, financing farms. It's, um, it's, it's really exciting stuff in my opinion. But I, um, for me, I've always been about, um, you know, making sure we're doing the best we can in government and, frankly, that we're focusing on the common good. And so I think my life reflects... Um, who I am and what I attempt to do to make things better, um, to show um, and demonstrate through the way I live um, that we that that there are we can do a better job. And I think with Earth Day and um, um, you know making sure we're doing the best we can on behalf of the planet, we have some really exciting opportunities ahead. And I think quite often when people serve in public office. Sometimes they say one thing and do another, and I've worked really hard, and looking back at my life decades ago, um, I, I try to live my words, and, um, and I think that's important and will serve me well. Well, I want to talk to you about sort of walking the talk, because um, in your bio, we talk about the home that you designed and built with your own hands, and this was you know, more than a couple decades ago. Talk a little bit about that experience and the motivators as it relates to your son as being a, a young mom. Certainly. Um, you know, we, we, we have a responsibility to make sure we're leaving the planet better than the way we found it, and we've said that for some time. I'm just worried that we're not always doing that. And, um, and so anyway, what, I've, what we've tried to do is first, you know, live by example. We've shared our home with tens of thousands of people, um, you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, college students, um, Ph.D. students, who's ever wanted to tour to help them imagine doing something differently. And um, our son has grown up in it, and it's very normal for him. Um, but there, what I've always told people is you can live a life that doesn't, um, you know, that's responsible for the planet, and it can be beautiful, and it's financially really smart. And so um, the finances are important to a lot of people in terms of, you know, when you're paying for energy um, to, you know, for your home or your apartment, wherever you're living, um, it eats into your, your um, finances. And so financially there's benefits. Earthwise, there's benefits, and um, um, and it's been exciting to watch people decide to do something differently. Whether it's when they purchase a new car, they get an electric vehicle, or that when they replace their HVAC system, they move maybe to a heat pump, or um, they are actually able to um, take advantage of wind or solar power. It's very, very exciting. So we we can show people what it looks like, what it feels like, and that actually financially, it's it's really smart and it's so empowering to be able to take charge of your energy. 
Agreed. And I want to get more into that. Actually, I have several in-depth questions about that. But before we do, I want to ask you a question about your son and how being raised in a in, in a home as he has and with parents such as you and your husband, it's impacted his ambassadorship of the planet. <laughs> you know, um, if I asked him that, I'm trying to think what he'd say. He understands the importance of it um, and um, in, in a special way so that when he, you know, he grew up with it so it was normal, but then seeing how it plays out in the real world in terms of other people having access to the same clean energy um, and the opportunities. I think for the this generation right now, um, they have a sense of urgency in terms of wanting to do something better and different because they know they're inheriting some of the issues we have. And when they see these major weather events um, that we can't ignore anymore, these strange weather events, supercharged storms, they're, you know, they're happening more often. They take out civil infrastructure. They force people to move. I mean, it's real. And so they would like government to get real and tackle those problems. Now, we did it as a family, but it's going to take a much larger effort. Yeah, well, I think we need to get really into this this weather thing, and this really is what motivates me to want to know more about your campaign with the Minnesota Power Plan. But we talk about these major weather events. I, I want to make sure that people understand, and I, I think many do, but many may not, how how the weather system is changing. You know, how what we are doing, just occupying the planet and how we are using the planet is altering our weather patterns. Right. So there's, you know, not not everyone wants, not everybody wants to understand all the pieces to climate change, but as we burn carbon and, and there's carbon emissions and carbon equivalents, it's creating a warming of the planet and um, it's allowing for and creating these supercharged, more frequent storms. And, you know, we have the melting of the polar ice caps. We have sustained droughts in different parts of the world where we're creating climate refugees. It's really creating disruption. And all you have to do, you know, is, is look at Houston, look at the Caribbean. Um, there's lots of different examples of seeing these supercharged storms and, um, and what it means to people's lives, what it means to government and our costs and quality of life. And frankly, um, some people would contend that if we want to get to world peace, we must tackle climate change and the reducing of our carbon footprint in a big and aggressive way um, because our future depends on it. And so um, we have normal weather events that happen, but what climate change is doing is it's it's supercharging normal storms that turn into these massive storms. And these massive storms um, have serious consequences. And frankly, California, with all the fires, there's there's droughts. There, you know, there's... um, um, other large weather events that create um, a lot of precipitation. So they're real-world problems, but we can tackle them and address them, and there's great opportunity that comes with that. Uh, I, I agree. I, you said something that really got my attention about climate refugees, people who are displaced and must relocate as the result of a catastrophic weather event. And just a few days ago, there was a mention in the news of the unnamed hurricane that struck the East Coast. I mean, the storm was uh, was quite a large one, and it kind of snuck up on the eastern seaboard. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, you know, scientists have been collecting data on this for a long time. We know that the climate is changing, and we recognize these weather events. You know who really rec- recognizes um, the weather events and their impacts as the insurance industry. So our rates are going up. Um, so yeah. we can feel it in our pocketbooks. We can see it um, around the world, in the United States, in our communities. And people don't want to be victims or hopeless. They want hope and they want solutions. And we've begun to make steps towards that, but we need to do it more aggressively. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Rebecca Otto. She's running for governor of the state of Minnesota, and we're talking about the Minnesota Power Plant when we get back. To learn more about Rebecca Otto, please visit RebeccaOtto.com. You can also connect with her on Twitter at Rebecca underscore Otto and on Facebook, Rebecca L.W. Otto. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? 
eight keys to unlocking a joyful life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about every day being Earth Day with my guest, Rebecca Otto. She is the 18th state auditor of Minnesota. She's also running for governor of the state of Minnesota. And we're going to talk now about the Minnesota Power Plan, which is really cool. And I'm really excited. So, Rebecca, jump right into the, um, this, this power plan that you've just released. It's really exciting and people are receiving it really well. Yes, it is very exciting, um, and it's something that an impact that um, government can have to really tackle climate change in a meaningful way, and, and it can be implemented by other states as well. So um, basically what we do is we allow Minnesotans to take charge of their energy. We're going to be using Minnesota resources, our wind, our sun, rather than importing it um, from some other place, so it's kind of free fuel forever. We're going to be using Minnesota companies and Minnesota workers, and my plan is going to create between 70,000 and a quarter million good-paying jobs in communities across the state. So my Minnesota-powered plan um, is, is this extraordinary jobs plan and economic opportunity that will um, tackle climate change in a meaningful way and, and really move us towards the cutting edge of the clean energy economy so it allows Minnesotans to take charge of their energy, reduce their living costs over time, and spur innovation, um, which is extraordinary. And um, we really have a moral imperative to protect our children from the impacts of climate change. So would you like to hear the mechanics of my plan? <laughs> I, yes, I, I would. And, and, and the reason why I'm so intrigued by it is really what it calls for is the, the harnessing of our natural resources and the harvesting of them into something that is a sustainable model. Yes, exactly. Um, and so basically what we'll do here, because it's not happening at the federal level, um, and it should, but as states we can do this. What we'll do is we're going to levy a carbon price on fossil fuel companies for the fossil fuel coming into our state so that the full price of carbon pollution is included in the price of fossil fuels up front. So we recognize that when we burn fossil fuels that there's a price to it, and insurance companies recognize that. Even the fossil fuel companies are recognizing there's a price when we burn it. So we're going to take that price, all that revenue, and 75% of it's going to go to Minnesotans is a quarterly dividend check. So every resident is going to get a quarterly check. If you have a family of four, it's going to be about $2,400 a year. Um, if it's one person, it's about $600 a year. Then we're going to have these renewable energy tax credits, and they will be refundable. So if, let's say, you're a homeowner and you wanted to install solar panels, 30% of the cost would be recovered through these tax credits. Um, if you wanted to, if let's say you drive and, and, and you need to drive, 
you could get an electric vehicle 30% off, new or used. And so we're really going to shift the system. Um, we, people can um, purchase a heat pump, and that heat pump, 30% off of, of that would be included in the tax credits. So the price of fossil fuels may increase, but people will be protected by this quarterly um, dividend check. But we're empowering Minnesotans to do something different. Now, I don't want to leave out all of our um, friends who rent. So let's say you've got, you're, you're renting, you have a landlord, you pay your utility costs. We're going to empower landlords to take advantage of these clean energy tax credits to, again, help either make the buildings more energy efficient or perhaps buy into a solar garden um, or to install a heat pump. So there's lots of different things. So we're going to be helping everybody um, you know, to move away from the burning of fossil fuels and move towards the clean energy economy in a really aggressive way. And um, it's going to be great for the workers because these are really, really good-paying jobs. It will reinvigorate our rural communities as businesses are popping up. We can drive research and development in the clean energy economy. Um, and here's one of the great benefits. By burning less um, carbon, we're going to also improve health outcomes. So anybody suffering yeah. from asthma or COPD with less particulate matter in the air, um, it will be better for them. So you reduce health care costs, you improve health outcomes. Children with asthma will less, you know, miss less days of school, improving health outcomes, and workers will be more productive. So there's just so many great things in the Minnesota Powered Plan. And what is also really powerful about the plan is it's acting at a local level but it has a global impact. Exactly. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to me because this really should be being tackled at the federal level. There's kind of paralysis up there. And so basically as states we can take charge and we can begin to take these more aggressive steps that have great economic benefits, health benefits, and frankly financial benefits for all the residents because if they can reduce their uh, energy use and energy costs, and produce energy sometimes, that's a really, really big deal. How often can government help people reduce their living costs? Very, very rarely. Now, here's the really cool thing. This is revenue neutral, so it's not a tax, and it's not money coming out of the economy. When we, produce, when we place this carbon price on fossil fuels coming into our state, um, the, the revenue is going to go back to um, the residents. And so government's not going to be taking it. So that's a pretty big deal. It's revenue neutral. Yeah, it allows very big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge deal. And it allows the free market to respond to this changing um, energy um, approach. And, and that's a really um, – so it's the kind of plan that it's not a partisan plan. It's really it's – it's just a, um, a good – you know, it's an, a good earth plan. <laughs> it's something that everyone will benefit from. And, um, and and make have great outcomes, and not just in your community globally. So, how often again can government do something like that? Well, what what I I, I find interesting is, is you said that this is something that the federal government should be doing, but that the state government really I think has a uh, a capacity to do it more quickly and efficiently because change happens so slowly at the federal level, and something needs to be done quickly, right? I mean, we've got we. Yeah. We, we need to keep the econ economy stimulated. Um, we, need, we need fuel sources. We need to um, create jobs. And it sounds like this plan is exciting as a, as a map for other states to follow. Absolutely. And I share. So I'm a big, uh, <laughs> I like to share good things. And so other states yeah. need a similar approach. And the more of us that do it, the better. And I'll tell you, for other states that have been dependent on the fossil fuel industry, um, or that's a big part of their economy. This is this extraordinary, extraordinary opportunity to reinvent themselves um, and to create the next generation of good-paying jobs. And I've heard other governors talk about, you know, we've got to find that next generation of good-paying jobs. We have it right here um, in a really um, extraordinary, um, it's an extraordinary opportunity. So it's, um, and then, you know, these jobs are not going to be um, outsourced um, to somewhere far away. You can use your own local workers. You can train your own local workers. And frankly, a lot of jobs have been automated or mechanized. And the sorts of jobs this is going to create 
um, they're not going to be. So that's why, again, we have to continue to, um, you know, solve problems in government, move forward, provide um, opportunities for um, meaningful um, work. And I think this is, you know, for, for folks that like to work with their hands, this is really an extraordinary opportunity, as are the way we generate energy changes. And it's not only for those that like to work with their hands. I think for the people who are designing and engineering these systems, oh, yeah. it breeds a whole other field of, of, of commerce. Absolutely. You know, to just come up yeah. with, with, with new products. Absolutely. Right, exactly. So we're going to have academia, you know, the researchers, the engineers. Um, and so that's why there's this, all of this opportunity and as a state, when you send a signal to the markets um, and those that really want to see innovation, you know, they'll locate in your state. So it just provides for a very exciting opportunity to change what we're doing, to improve people's lives, to improve our economies, um, and frankly, to, um, to deal with a very serious issue that has real costs. We're almost out of time, and I want to make sure that we touch upon healthcare because you mentioned the Im- impact of the in- environment and, and uh, on people's healthcare, and we all know that uh, asthma, COPD, and a whole host of other um, health complications come as a result of an of unclean air. Talk a little bit about your your healthcare plan for um, for Minnesota. Yes, I have uh, released something called the Healthy Minnesota Plan. And basically what it does is it lays out a clear path to get to single-payer health care, where it's universal, quality, affordable, guaranteed health care. Uh, and frankly, again, our future depends on it because what we're doing is not uh, sustainable financially. And there are other places in the world that um, have reduced costs and increased uh, health outcomes. And that's frankly where we need to get to. So all of the things that I am proposing um, improve people's lives reduce costs, and frankly, if we can get to a system like that where you decouple your job from your health care, we are going to unleash the innovators. Um, people will be able to make better decisions in their lives, whether it's staying home with a loved one who needs their care, retiring um, when they're ready to retire, um, because people, or, or getting out of a job they don't want to be in anymore, where they've always wanted to do something, but they've stayed in a job because they don't want to lose their health care. So we really need freedom from fear, and we need to get to a single-payer system. And again, the federal government should get us there. Um, I know they've been debating health care a lot, but sometimes there are forces that um, called big money <laughs> that create paralysis at the federal level. And so that's why I think states need to take charge and, um, and begin to take on these, these issues that must be dealt with to improve people's lives and to allow our providers to focus back on our health and to get rid of all of the inefficiencies in our system and administrative burdens, you know, and creating an accountable, efficient, effective system so that uh, we can move on with, um, you know, um, our lives. And, and, um, and so my Minnesota Power Plan ties into my Healthy Minnesota Plan because we do need to reduce costs, and this uh, Minnesota Power Plan will actually get at that in a meaningful way. We are going to need to, to, to go, and I hope you'll come back. But to learn more about the candidate with a heart, and I really have to say that from my heart, Rebecca, because you are awesome. To learn more about Rebecca Otto and her candidacy for governor of Minnesota, please visit RebeccaOtto.com. You can learn about the Minnesota Power Plan, her health plan, and all the things that she's doing, which really are a model that many states can follow. To learn more about Rebecca Otto, please visit RebeccaOtto.com. Um, you can also connect with her on Twitter at Rebecca underscore auto and on Facebook, Rebecca L W auto. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen and my amazing guest today, Rebecca auto and Dr. Michael E. Mann wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions until next time. Remember happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are. 
with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.